Nine. Okay, settle down. Nine. Take it easy. Nine. What the scallop? I'm a goofy goober! Hello to all of you goobers out there. My name is Zach Clinton. Welcome to the Fantasy Football Goobers Podcast, episode number Brett Favre. I asked what episode you'd like to see next, and you all so graciously voted. So today, we'll be digging into some potential player draft value minefields that could be out there. So this should be a good one as we all prepare for our upcoming fantasy drafts. As you know, they are creeping around the corner as we speak. As with every draft, snake or auction, you are trying to acquire as much value on each player as you can. The players I will highlight in this episode are all guys that might have a discounted draft day price take for various reasons. Be it because of injury, suspension, or other players behind them are kind of getting that new hotness. While it might work out sometimes to draft players like this, there is an inherent risk when doing so, as there is a reason why the discount is there in the first place. Spoiler warning, about half of the players I'm going through are off my draft boards, but there are a few value landmines that I am willing to take a little peek-ski at if the value becomes too much to bear for my mortal soul. Essentially, these are all players that are the Doug Baldwin of 2019. Tons of fantasy players drafted Doug Baldwin last year, knee issues in tow, solely because he happened to drop to the 4th and 5th rounds. Not many people wanted Doug Baldwin per se, but fell into that trap way of thinking of, oh, my cheat sheet says he's a $35 wide receiver, and right now it's looking like I could hop in and get him for $20. What a deal! So today, I am here to advise you on players like that, just so you know the inherent risks you could be undertaking, and if I would personally do it myself. Because as they say, if all of your friends jumped off a bridge, you would too. Before we cross that bridge, we'll go over some news right quick. Not too much to go over considering I've already gone over the Melvin Gordon situation in my last episode. Nothing has come out that changes my stances that Justin Jackson is the RB to own if Gordon continues to hold out into the preseason. Jackson easily slots into a $20 to $25 price tag if he's a starting back in that offense. Again, if I was a betting man and had to choose one side, the Chargers are going to get this deal done as they have the money and are particularly on their last leg or two of the championship window that they have. Having Gordon, a running back that can do it all and might even sit under that elite classification, is only a plus for the Chargers. But granted, I'm not in the front office having to make these decisions, so my opinion is about as much of consequence as any other Joe Blow couch GM. So, you know, take it for what you will. That's really all I got for news. Pretty much everything else is either a fluff piece or coach speak. So until we get into training camp where the walking can back up the talking, then I'll start buying and selling it then. Everything has pretty much been covered by other analysts as well, so you know, I'll just kind of be echoing their arguments. Trust me, I'll get into more news as we go along, but for now, I'm a hop, skip, and a jump to some fluff pieces of my own. Ironic, I know. So to start, wherever you're listening to, if you could, like, subscribe, and leave a good rating, or bad, I guess. Any engagement is good engagement, I guess, as they say. Um, but if you could do all of that, that helps us get out to a larger listenership. So, all of that is mucho appreciated. If you're also looking for some auction draft cheat sheets, head to our website at www.fantasyfootballgoobers.com for free $200 budget rankings. 
From that very same website, we also have links to our merchandise shop on Teespring that we just recently launched. So, if you want to grab some goober swag, head over to the storefront on Teespring and grab some merch. As with all of our donations and profits this season, half of all proceeds will go directly to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. So not only are you helping me out, but you're helping a great cause out as well. Nothing is ever expected, but all is appreciated. Finally, in the next week or so, Polly Sleepers will be releasing consensus rankings on his site, and uh, little old me got to participate. So make sure to go check those out once they drop. Give Polly a follow as well in the old Twitter machine, as he's a great guy and he's helped me every step of the way to get me to where I am today on the old Twitter. Um, so yeah, also follow us on Twitter as well, as I try to answer any and all tweets that are sent my way. I'm more than willing to give you a piece of my mind, so, you know, our handle is at Fantasy Goobers, and ask a question spicy enough and it might end up on one of these episodes in our mailbag whenever we open it up. Um, yeah, so hopefully I didn't ramble on for too long, and if you skip through that, uh, welcome back, boys. Let's get into the meat and potatoes. So... For the potential value landmines here, we'll kick her off with the most prominent and talked about potential value landmine this coming season in Todd Gurley. As we all know, Gurley is dealing with arthritis in his knee and is both sure and unsure personally about his availability for the coming season. When he was recently speaking with Omar Ruiz about how his knee was holding up, Gurley responded by saying, quote unquote, it's good man. It's good. Uh, but then followed straight after by saying, hey, we're going to find out in training camp, you know? So even when he's trying to be positive and kind of quell some fears about his health, he instead only piles on the concerns for all of us potential owners. As it's been gone over multiple times already, the issue stems back mainly to last season in the NFC Championship game and Super Bowl, where he had a combined 14 carries and 2 receptions in the two biggest games of the season and life for that matter. It just doesn't make any sense that the Rams wouldn't play the guy that just rushed for 1,271 yards and 17 touchdowns and caught 59 passes for 580 yards and four more touchdowns during the season unless there was something seriously wrong. Pretty much everyone saw through the Rams' smokescreen at that time when they said that it was just knee soreness. And now look what has become. From their moves this offseason, it is clear as day that the Rams themselves are hesitant with their $60 million investment from a year ago. While they did let C.J. Anderson walk during free agency, they just so happened to match Malcolm Brown's $3.25 million offer sheet from the Detroit Lions, which was an eyebrow-raising move. Come April, they also spent considerably high draft capital on Daryl Henderson, uh, it's important to remember that the Rams didn't have a first-round pick in the 2019 draft, so a third-round investment on a running back position with their second overall pick in the draft also should raise all kinds of red flags and sound off a bunch of little buzzers that the Rams are in fact not confident in giving Gurley a workload equal to the one he's had in years past. As an effect of all of this little hubbub, Gurley's draft value has plummeted all the way down from being the cherry on top at around $60 after averaging a meaty 25 fantasy points per game last year to around the RB7-9 to value. Right now, 
Todd Gurley can be had for around $40 in some cases, which is absolute bananas. In my personal opinion, I think the pendulum has swung way too far into the negative direction. If you were to only take 80% of Gurley's production from last season, he still would have been a top 5 RB on the season. So, here we sit with the question of what you should do. I'm more hands-off with Gurley compared to another player with relatively equal circumstances in Leonard Fournette, which might be surprising to some. I see them as potential value landmines in the sense that if they only fall to a $50 price tag, which would be a $10 value, that isn't a steep enough discount to justify me taking Gurley. In snake drafts, I would have Gurley 100% off my boards based on round costs, but that's the beauty with auction drafts. Cost takes on a whole new meaning. If I can grab Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley, or an Ezekiel Elliott as my RB1, with Gurley essentially being my RB2, or I can pair Gurley with two other very capable backs like a Joe Mixon-Delvin Cook kind of combo, I might start to buy into Gurley if the value is there. For an example, in my home auction three-player keeper league, I am keeping Christian McCaffrey and James Conner for a combined $44 on a $200 budget. With Christian McCaffrey and Conner being my two starting running backs, if I can get Gurley to fall to me for about $35 to $40, or maybe even under that depending on how scared my owners in that league are, I might be willing to bite on that value and have Gurley as my flex option. My situation there is more of an extreme one, but uh, I think you get the point. As I said, I'm starting to feel that the Gurley pendulum has swung too far into the negative direction, and honestly, I think that that fear and value won't change much come drafts later in July here and throughout August. Breaking it down here, worst case scenario for Gurley I see is that it's week two and his knee flares up and, oh, he's out until after the week nine bye. Best case scenario is that Gurley still gets his regular workload, maybe misses a game or two here and there, and still ends up as the overall RB1-4, to and people who drafted him rejoice and get that monster return on investment. What I think is the realistic case scenario, and why I have him valued as the RB9 in my rankings, is that Gurley falls into more of that Alvin Kamara type role and carries that RB1 value solely on efficiency and touchdowns with the touches that he's given. Give Gurley a nice and easy 200 carries on the ground, 50 catches through the air, and tack on about 10 touchdowns, mixing in his career yards per carry at 4.4 and yards per reception at 10.1, and he would finish with a grand total of 198 fantasy points. Going off of last year's finishes, and that would put Gurley at the RB9 right above David Johnson and right below Joe Mixon. Mind you, those are arbitrary numbers scatting out what an Alvin Kamara role would be for Gurley, but in my opinion, that's a pretty close stat line. I guess the final point I'll make on Gurley is that it's all about relative cost. David Johnson went as a $55 plus dollar back last year, and finishing as the RB9 was viewed as a disappointment. Joe Mixon, however, was valued right around that $40 mark and finished as an RB8 and was deemed a success. If you get Gurley for the RB10 or unders value for around that $35 range, and he finishes in the low end RB1 range like I think he will, 
Owners would and should be ecstatic as you are essentially getting what you paid for. So just keep that in mind. The next potential landmine value player that we'll be going over is Leonard Fournette, running back for the Jacksonville Jaguars. I'm not as high on Gurley as I am with Fournette, as I feel that the value he will go for could vary league to league a lot more than Fournette, so it might be harder to lock down that price and know what exactly you might have to pay. Fournette is pretty much primed, locked, and loaded to be a $35 to $40 back this coming season, whereas Gurley could see some owners getting antsy on him and end up spending $50 plus in drafts, which practically is where the landmine would explode. Also, unlike Gurley, Fournette has surprisingly had his team eradicate any sign of a high-end backup behind him, compared to having the Rams load up potential replacements in Gurley's absence throughout the offseason. The Jags yeeted TJ Yeldon up to Buffalo and let their rental and Carlos Hyde threaten Damian Williams' job in Kansas City. As far as I know, Corey Grant hasn't signed back with the Jags, so someone can fact-check me on that one, but uh, yeah... So far in the offseason, the Jags brought in Alfred Blue, who is about as unsexy of a backup as you can get, and also drafted Ryquel Armstead. He was selected in the fifth round, so he doesn't have too high of a draft pedigree, but people are saying he's a great Leonard Fournette light. He's a 5'11", 220-pound back with 4.45 speed, so a considerable combination of angry running and get-up. He wasn't much of a pass catcher in college, so if you're looking to add Armstead as part of your Leonard Fournette hate speech and saying that he will overtake the pass catching duties, you would be wrong in that sense. What makes Armstead interesting as a talking point, though, is that he could be a suitable fill-in if Fournette were to miss time, which is about as sure as a bet as you could make at this point. My belief is that if Fournette misses two or more consecutive games and Armstead fills in that role nicely, ya boy Leonard might not be getting that job back. I would be remiss if I didn't mention Fournette's off-the-field issues involving an arrest for driving with a suspended license and his on-the-field issues by getting suspended last season for tossing hands with the Buffalo Bills. Off the field, he's been a nuisance, but on the field, he's been... Uh... I guess let's put it this way. When he's played, he's super fantasy relevant, but especially last season, he was only relevant due to the sheer volume of opportunities he was given. His game-by-game -game fantasy points week 9 on after a return from his hammy issues start off hot with 25.6 points in week 9, 21.1 points in week 10, 24.3 points plus a few hands to the face against Buffalo in week 11, then skip week 12 due to suspension, and from there he kind of proceeded to poop the bed with 5.1, 7.9, and 14.6 point games to close out the season. Mind you, the season was pretty much long lost at that point, so many Jaguars were just kind of cashing checks. In games that Fournette started and finished last year, he averaged 23.5 touches per game, which is all that you could ask for from your starting running back. But even with that immense volume, he could never seem to unhook the plow as he only mustered a 3.3 yards per carry stat line to go with the 3.9 that he had a year prior. In 2017, if you were to take away his 90-yard touchdown run, his yards per carry dives from that 3.9 down to a 3.5. Where you have Kamara on one end of the spectrum getting lesser volume and massive efficiency, 
Lenny is on the complete opposite side getting oodles of volume with little efficiency. Throw in the fact that Fournette has started and finished only 56% of his games in the NFL so far, that being 12 his first season and essentially 6 the last, and you got a very high risk pick sitting at your doorstep. So, why would you even venture to try and open this present up? Well, you now get the promise of Lenny getting more passing work if and when he plays. With Yeldon out of that offense, you have 78 targets and 55 receptions you could possibly be adding to Fournette's 25-ish he's gotten over the past two-year span. Realistically, Fournette should be seeing that 25-touch-per-game average stay steady, which is amazing for fantasy owners. If you're looking to invest in Fournette or Gurley this year, I don't normally do this, but I would seriously consider investing in their handcuff as well. If you can lock up 25 opportunities per week with each backfield for your fantasy squad, you should find yourself in green pastures. Armstead can be had for free in Henderson while pricey at around $15 in $200 budget settings, could easily find second-half league winning status if anything were to happen to Gurley. There is value to be had here, but in your draft, I think it's almost imperative, like with Gurley, that you get one of the top-tier backs to pair with Lenny, or you straddle him with two solid RB1 upside players and plan to roll Fournette out in your flex weekly. All in all, I'm in on Fournette and am willing to take that risk if he falls to the $30 to $35 range. He's primed to be in bell cow usage, and at that price, it's 100% worth the risk, in my opinion, to shoot for RB upside with the position so scarce, on the whole, of guys that you can bank on to get 20-plus touches each week. Now, moving right along, come with me as we go and throw some shade at the 2011 wide receiver draft class. More specifically, A.J. Green of the Cincinnati Bengals. Green is coming off of some tootsie toe issues that forced him to miss seven total games last season. He averaged about 14 fantasy points per game in 2018 and was actually on pace for an 86 catch, 1200 yard, and 10 plus touchdown season. Uh, but you know, that didn't happen. He hasn't put up a season of 1100 yards plus since 2015, which is starting to seem like a distant memory at this point. What I'm trying to say is, at age 31, maybe the years past of A.J. Green being a sure bet top 6 wide receiver are gone. Now I will grant you that an upgrade in the Bengals coaching staff getting rid of Marvin Lewis is a definite upgrade, but typically new offensive coordinators such as Zach Taylor, great name by the way, uh, take around about a year to catch on. Andy Dalton is still Andy Dalton, and as the boys on the Around the NFL podcast say, He's the most average of average quarterbacks as you could have in the league. Joe Mixon will be good, and I hope so, considering he's my RB8 in my rankings, um, but the whole kicker to this machine is the offensive line. A line that was ranked 27th in 2018, according to Pro Football Focus, improved by adding a stud tackle in Jonah Williams in this last draft, but as quick as he was in the building, he went right on out as he's expected to miss the whole season due to an injury. If Andy Dalton doesn't get any time to throw the ball, A.J. Green won't spend too much time catching it. It's also important to note that Green is playing for his career, not to be uh, too overly dramatic, 
um, but he's heading into the final year of his contract, with no negotiations of late being super fruitful, it may be looking like the Bengals are starting to prepare to move on from their former all-pro wide receiver. Tyler Boyd was very productive last season, mind you, mostly when A.J. Green was on the field, and John Ross is, uh, well there, about all I could say about that. Nothing that fans really want to hear, but since he could be heading towards a full-blown rebuild by the end of the season, with Joe Mixon and Boyd being the only two pieces of that offense to survive the exodus, to make A.J. Green's situation even worse, if he does end up surviving the toll problems that slowed him down all of last season, he could face a QB change mid-season, which would only go to pile on the disappointment. Right now, A.J. Green is being valued as a wide receiver one and is going to be clocking around that $35 to $40 mark. If you are eyeing Green down in drafts and thinking that you are getting the A.J. Green of yesteryear, there's about eh, an 80% chance that you're going to be disappointed in your investment. It does look good on paper to be getting a historically year-in and year-out wide receiver one for a discounted high-end wide receiver two price, but... This is the first mine out of today's list that I don't think I'll be touching. There's just too many good cheap wide receiver options later in the draft that could finish at or where I'm projecting green for next year. I love Robbie Anderson, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Christian Kirk, and Mike Williams, who are all pretty much $20 to $25 cheaper or more in drafts. I'm a little more inclined to jump on risky running backs at a discounted price than I am wide receivers. Starting running backs are so scarce, and if it comes down to it where you need a guy like Fournette or Gurley with some injury concerns, I'll roll the dice if the rest of my RB stable is secure in auction drafts. Sprechen Sedoich of the running backs with risks. Let's get into some Lamar Miller. Where Gurley and Fournette pretty much have their backfields on lockdown no matter what, as long as they are healthy, Miller is the complete opposite in my opinion. People thinking that they're lucking into a starting running back as their RB3 are going to be sorely mistaken come about week 4. $15 might seem like a steal for a guy that has put up 4 consecutive seasons of 1,000 plus yards from scrimmage, but brace yourselves, Deontay Foreman is coming. I already went over this particular backfield in my last episode, so go give that a peekski if you haven't already. But I'm willing to bet the farm and all the chickens that Lamar Miller will not be the starting running back for this team come November. Whether it's Deontay Foreman who was starting to overtake Lamar Miller during the 2017 season, or it's an undisclosed running back who isn't on the team yet from a trade or free agent pickup, someone will end up taking RB1 snaps from Miller. If you're going to chime in and tell me, well, Lamar Miller averaged his second highest yards per carry of his career last season with a 4.6 line, I'll guide you through your foolish ways and tell you that if you take away his massive 97-yard once-in-a-lifetime touchdown run, well, I guess twice-in-a-lifetime touchdown run for Lamar Miller considering he had one of similar length in 2014, uh, but anyways, I digress. Take away that one run from last season, and his yards per carry plummets all the way from 4.6 down to a 4.19. Still good, but not as exceptional as it might seem. Also, bear in mind, Miller only got 210 carries last season, which is aight, but it's far from having a workhorse status tag to his back. 
Maybe you can draft Miller at his $10 to $15 price tag in $200 redraft leagues and try to trade him for some value around that week three mark after he's kind of performed at that typical eh level of production. But if the common consensus and understanding throughout the fantasy football community is that owners will be trying to do that, good luck trying to find a trading partner unless he truly is a dummy. My personal advice and opinion is that you should never draft a player and intend on trading him right away. If a player has that kind of aura surrounding him throughout fantasy drafts, owners in leagues with more experienced players will scoff at your trade offers. And uh, rightly so. In sum, don't fall for the value landmine saying of, Wow, I just got a starting running back for my RB2 spot for $15. What a low price. The only way Lamar Miller should find his way on your roster is that he shouldn't. The more you know. Next up in the batter's box is a personal favorite of mine. Not personal favorite as in I'm drafting him wherever I can, but more of a favorite of mine to drag through the dirt. That player is Darius Geis, running back of the Washington Redskins. It pains me to do this to a guy that has worked so hard to get back from his injuries and has showed such promise but it's by no means a personal jab. It's more a jab at the fantasy players that are thinking Geis is coming in and starting week one or two, or whenever he's ready to go for the Redskins, is going to be in a bell cow workload, will carry them boys to a fantasy football championship, and will all be coming at the super cheap cost of $15 to $20. To those people, I spit at you. Geis, while absurdly talented from his days in the bayou at LSU, has been about as plagued with injuries as any player I can remember in recent times. Here's Geis' injury status as it stands. Back in college, he hyperextended his knee, and last season he tore his ACL during the preseason. After getting that ACL repaired, he had to undergo three further procedures to clean up infections that were creeping into the wounds after the fact. All that is quite poopy-doopy, but just recently, to further halt the hype trains, it was reported that Geis suffered hamstring issues during one of his rehab sessions, which further puts his availability during the preseason into question. If there's one thing you don't want your players to experience before the season, or, well, any point for that matter, is soft tissue issues, a la the hamstring. The two most prominent examples of lingering hammy issues from last season were Delvin Cook and Leonard Fournette, both of which were shut down by their respective teams midway through the season, soiling the hearts of fantasy owners everywhere. Not only is it the absurd amount of injuries that should be halting the hype trains for every single fantasy owner, but it's the moves the Redskins have made around Geis this past offseason. They re-signed a 34-year-old Adrian Peterson to a two-year contract. Peterson is a distant shadow of his former self at this point in his career, but there still was enough gas in the tank last year to put up a 1,000-yard season. And if there's one thing I've learned from watching all day, all these years, is that you'd be wrong to doubt him if he wanted to put up another 1,000 spot. As long as AP is suited up, as he showed two years ago when he was scowling down Sean Payton as a Saint, and last year as a Redskin, he demands to be used as an every-down back. Outside of AP, the Redskins also added Bryce Love in the fourth round, another running back who has dealt with ACL gremlins. Because, you know, if two wasn't enough, why not add a third to your running back stable? Am I right? 
the Redskins may have seemed to have made every move they could that could be classified under not a vote of confidence in Geis' health this offseason. As I've already said, I'm okay to get a little down and dirty with risky players if the price is right. However, Geis is completely off my draft boards under any circumstance due to the immense amount of concerns. Let someone else explore that value landmine and have it blow up in their face. Even $10 would be too sweet for my blood, and sadly, at that price, there will still be some owner in your league that will bite. <laughs> so, uh, funny story. We had our live draft the day after Geis tore his ACL, and one of the guys in our league nominated Geis. This particular player isn't the most keen fantasy player out there, and shot out a $10 bid and had nobody bid with him. Clearly confused as to why he just got a presumed $30 starting running back for $10, we all informed him after the fact that he was in fact out for the season and uh, we didn't refund him his money. Uh, don't feel too bad for this guy as he had both Todd Gurley and Joe Mixon as his running backs and uh, still managed to be a basement dweller. I think he's actually planning on keeping Geis for $10 as he held on to him throughout the whole season in the IR spot. Another reason as to why he only mustered four wins. So, um, you know, I guess the more power to him. I also didn't even mention Chris Thompson is still in that backfield, which only adds mud to that water. So if you're thinking that you're getting the unquestioned starter for $20, uh, you might want to change your thinking. So, uh, yeah, I think we'll close her out right there. These episodes just keep getting longer and longer, which, you know, I suppose is a good thing. Hopefully you enjoyed this episode and are now more aware of some of those value landmines out there. Just because a player is cheap doesn't mean you always have to chase after him, unless they're Todd Gurley or Leonard Fournette, I guess, but, uh, yeah. Make sure you vote on which episode you'd like to see next on our Twitter page. It's looking like the people are wanting my auction draft strategies and tips, so uh, that's probably what's going to be next. I'll probably release it in two to three parts, I'm thinking, depending on how long it gets, and I'll be going over what I think are the best league settings, how I draft, how I bid, you know, all that good stuff, yada, yada, yada. Uh, so keep your eyes peeled for that. I'll try to get that episode out, or probably the first episode, by the end of the week. So, yeah. Before I yee-yee on out of here, remember to like, subscribe, and leave a rating wherever you are listening on. Uh, yeah, because that would be pretty cool. Alright, this has been Zach Clint signing off, wanting you to remember that I love you 3000. Yeah. Yeah.